0: this afternoon, which comes from Romans chapter 3, Romans 3 verses 9 through ten, nine 9 through 20. This comes right after Paul has described some of the injustice and unrighteousness in the world and God's wrath against that. And then he says in verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So far from God's word. As we reflect on what we've read and also pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance in the sermon, let's sing together from Psalm 14. Lord's Day two, and the question there is, from where do you know your sins and misery? From the law of God. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Can you keep all of this perfectly? No, no. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. So far from the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Days 2, 3, and 4 all focus on the theme of our sin and our misery. It's not an easy topic to talk about. It makes all of us uncomfortable to hear about how sinful we are, how far we far short, how deep our sin also goes, and how seriously God also takes our sin. And it's a very different way of dealing with our lives and looking at our lives than what you might find recommended by psychologists or what you see in secular counseling or in magazines or in many popular movies where we're told to look for the good in ourselves or the good in humanity. How many movies have that as their ultimate lesson, that there is much good in us? We try to focus on the redeemable characteristics of ourselves or others to build up a high self-esteem, And often even when when things do go wrong, the blame is laid on low self-esteem as the root problem. And the solution, therefore, is also then to work on that self-esteem. Well, that's not at all where the Christian faith begins. No, the Christian faith begins uh, begins by, by coming face to face with the evil that exists inside of us. And that requires a lot of uncomfortable but honest soul-searching in our own hearts. Recovery programs like Alcoholics Anonymous or even the Life Renewal program that we have in this church hosted, they really emphasize that themselves as one of the earliest steps in the recovery process, making an honest inventory of who we are, of our hearts, being 100% brutally honest with ourselves. That's not an easy thing for us to do. But that's what the Catechism also then has us do. And we might ask, well, why? Why do we do this to ourselves year after year, digging into our hearts to see again our sinfulness? It's uncomfortable, it's painful, nobody enjoys it. Well, it isn't because we want to be depressed. Nor is it because we, you know, we feel like we deserve this, like this is some kind of penance that we do by reflecting on how sinful we are at least once or twice a year. So why do we do this to ourselves year after year, taking this time three weeks in a row every year to reflect on how sinful we are? Well, to answer that, we need to remember the context here of Lord's Day 2. It follows from what we saw last week in Lord's Day 1, which asks, What is your only comfort, the one thing that you hold on to in life or death? And Lord's Day 1, as we saw last week, it, it summarizes that so beautifully. It, it points to a faith that we've seen in, in so many of our fellow Christians, a faith that you see in Christians around the world who even rejoice as they're being led to the slaughter. We might think of the reformers also in the time of the catechism who gave up their lives for what they, they held so dearly, that faith, that comfort that they had. And then the, the, the end of Lord's Day 1 asks that question, what do you need to know in order to have that joy, that faith, that comfort for yourself? And then the first part of that answer is, I need to know my sin and my misery. So why do we take the time year after year to reflect on how bad the condition in our hearts really is? It isn't because we want to be depressed. No, it's exactly the opposite. It's because we read words like the Apostle Paul that we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Or we look at the lives of of Christians from former generations who had that, that faith that was unbreakable, that joy that existed in even the hardest times, even when they were tortured, who still praised God and rejoiced in His goodness. We read about these Christian men and women who had something that the world only wished it could have, who happily gave up everything else that they had on earth for the steadfast love of God. And we think our weak, fragile faith says, I want that comfort too. That's why we spend this time looking at the condition in our hearts. We want to have that same joy and that same comfort, that same confidence in God that we've seen in those Christians or other Christians around us or around the world. And that's why we need to begin first by recognizing who we are. See, that joy that they had is a joy that's rooted in the truth. Unless we can deal with the truth, then we'll only ever be living a lie. And there's no true joy to be found in living a lie. If it isn't the truth that sets us free, then nothing is going to set us free. And so that's why we do this year after year. That's why we open our Bibles to listen to God's Word tell us about who we really are. It's not easy, it's not pleasant, but it's the only way to enjoy the promises of God, to have that, that superhuman, life-empowering, and, and death-defying comfort that the Catechism describes for us. Now, the truth is not going to be easy Opening God's Word and, and allowing Him to tell us about who we are is going to show things about us that we would rather not see in ourselves. We've told ourselves, maybe consciously, maybe not, that we're, we're pretty good people, all things considered. We go to church, we tithe, we, we do all these things that good people do. Maybe, maybe we've even convinced ourselves that we're very good people, exceptionally good people And then it's going to be all the harder to accept, not just in our brains, but in our heart level, to accept what God's Word tells us, that we're not at all good people. We're wretched sinners. It's going to be hard to look honestly at the trail of destruction that each of us leaves behind by the things that we've done or the things that we should have done and failed to do. See, God's word shows us things about ourselves that we would much rather not see. It takes us places that we would rather not go. And so in the next Lord's Days, we see how even all of the excuses that we have are taken away from us by God's word. We're brought before a righteous, holy God who puts a price on our sin, who says that sin cannot go unpunished. We have a guilty verdict that hangs over our heads. And when we're faced then with the hard truth, the temptation for us in the middle of these Lord's Days can be to stop, to turn around, or to block it out of our minds, to go back to those old lies that, that we've told ourselves, that yes, maybe all these things are theologically true, but still we're, we're pretty good people, aren't we? We've lived pretty good Lives, haven't we? Don't we go to church? And so, don't all those things make up for whatever Scripture tells us about ourselves? But that, again, is a lie. And there's no comfort to be found in living a lie. If we want to know the unbreakable, overflowing joy of the gospel, then everything has to be on the table. We can't hold anything back from God's word. We have to confess at the end of the day that his judgments are true and righteous. But it is, it is worth it, and it's good to remember this from the beginning. We wouldn't dare take all of our defenses down and admit that the lies that we've told ourselves are really just that, lies. We wouldn't dare to do that unless we knew that there was hope at the end of the journey. And not just hope. But joy, true joy, a joy that perhaps we've never yet known. Lasting, beautiful comfort in the presence of God is at the end of the road when you go down the path that takes you through the gospel. And that's what motivates us then to open God's word, to listen to it, to let him tell us about who we are. Now the first point that the Lord's Day makes and that we need to consider is that we do need the law if we're going to know ourselves truly. It's the same point that Romans 3 verse 20 makes, through the law comes our knowledge of sin. That's not to say that we, we can't know any sin apart from God's law if God's law didn't point it out to us. There are people all over the world who have never heard of God's law, and yet they still have some concept of sin and, and guilt and right and wrong. They can still at least acknowledge some of their own wrongdoing. And they can do that because God's law is written on their hearts. That's the way that Paul describes it in Romans 2. He says, When the Gentiles who don't even have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves. Even though they don't have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and then their conflicting thoughts either accuse them or excuse them. So it's not that we can't know any of our sins without God's law. But the point that the catechism is making and that that Paul makes in Romans three verse twenty, is that we won't be able to get anywhere near the full honest picture of who we are without the help of God's law. And there's several reasons why that that is the case. First of all, our consciences have become darkened. It's a a big theme in, in the New Testament. Scripture speaks of unbelievers as living in darkness, as not having light. Most of the wrong that we do, we don't even ever identify. We don't even notice it our understandings of right and wrong have been become deeply distorted, deeply darkened without the light of God's word to point them out. The, yes, the law has been written on our hearts, but since the fall into sin, it's been very deeply faded, and in many places seems to be non-existent. There are things that God's word teaches are wrong, but we might not feel like they're actually wrong. It's one of the results of the fall into sin. Our consciences are darkened. Second, and and behind that darkening, is the fact that our consciences have also been hardened in sin. In Ephesians 4 verse 17, Paul speaks of Gentile unbelievers, and he says this about them. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. That's that that darkening, and then you see behind that, due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So we become so used to sinning that it ceases to bother us, to the point that we we stop even noticing it. If we resist our consciences long enough, then eventually they stop functioning altogether. So then we need God's law to teach us who we are because our calloused consciences aren't going to give us the full picture that we need. Third, we need, we need God's law to teach us because we're surrounded by other sinners. We live in a sinful world, and the temptation that we're going to have if we're trying to do that, that searching, honest inventory of ourselves, our temptation will be to compare ourselves with one another. And we're never going to know the seriousness of our sin if all we do is compare ourselves to other sinners. God is perfect. His law is perfectly holy. And His law then is objective. It doesn't change. It doesn't adjust itself to judge sinners. It doesn't try to meet our standards, but calls us up to God's standard. And that then brings us to To our third point, what is it then that the law, God's objective law, teaches about us? Well, it tells us a very different story than the one that we would like to tell ourselves. Romans 3 verse 10, No one is righteous, not even one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. See, God's word is unflinching in its truth. We might persuade ourselves, we might persuade even one another that we're really not such bad people. But when we compare ourselves against the objective, unmoving standard of God's law, well then we see who we really are. The catechism asks the question, what does God's law teach us? And it could in that point proceed already to to list out the Ten Commandments. And if we measure ourselves, of course, against those, it's very quick to convict us. But instead, the Catechism gives us the summary of the law that the Lord Jesus used to teach that self-righteous lawyer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, this is the heart of the law, and it measures our hearts. What happens at the heart level shows the kind of people that we really are. Everything else is just dependent on circumstances and opportunity. If we lust at the heart level, then given the right opportunities and circumstances, we will commit adultery in practice. That was the Lord Jesus' point. He who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. If we harbor hatred at the heart level then given the right circumstances or the right upbringing, we will also be willing to murder in practice. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, The heart is the wellspring of life. Meaning everything else that we feel, everything we think and everything we do, flows out of our hearts. So then what do we find when we examine ourselves by that standard and by the standard of the Ten Commandments Well, here's where the the commandments, each of the ten, can can help. If we struggle, if we read what the Lord Jesus taught us, that we should love the Lord with all our heart, and we struggle to see what's wrong with ourselves at that point, then the Ten Commandments take us into detail. Do I love the Lord my God with all my heart? Well, then why do I have so many other gods in my life that I put ahead of him? as evidenced by my bank statement, or by my non-existent prayer life, or by my self-obsessed Twitter feed? Do I love the Lord my God with all my heart? Second commandment. Then why does it bother me? When, why does it not bother me, that is, when his name is dishonored? Or why do I get so worked up when someone speaks ill of me, but don't seem to be bothered when someone speaks ill of my God? Do I love the Lord my God with all my heart? Then why do I still see the Lord's Day as a burden? Why would I still prefer to do other things instead of be in his presence? Do I love the Lord my God with all my heart? Then why don't don't I honor the parents that God has given me? Do I love my neighbor as myself as the Lord Jesus taught me? Then why do I hold on to grudges for years after years? Do I love my neighbor as myself? Then why do I look on a a woman who's not my spouse with lust, betraying my own wife? If I don't love her as myself, how much less do I love my neighbor as myself? Do I love my neighbor as myself? Well, then why am I bitter when when God blesses my neighbor in ways he doesn't bless me? See, God's law searches our hearts. It cuts through our excuses. It exposes the lies that we would like to tell ourselves and shows us for who we really are. So that's what Paul's conclusion also is in Romans 3. After honestly looking at the law from the perspective of of a self-righteous, law-abiding Jew that he thought he was, he looks at the law honestly and he says, No one is righteous, not even one. The supposedly law-keeping Jew is really as perverse in his heart as that homosexual prostitute in the temples of Rome or the drunkards on the side of the road. No one understands, he says. Apart from the gospel, even the Jew who is supposed to know God's law so well has made it into something that it was never meant to be, a list of of small regulations about how much grain you're supposed to tithe and what days you're supposed to do, what kinds of activities, and nothing of that addresses the heart. No one understands. When the law probes our hearts, it becomes clear who really understands the depth of their own sin before God. Who really knows the full extent of their guilt before a righteous and holy God? The more you look, the deeper you look, the more depravity you find. No one seeks God, says Paul. Remember, of course, Paul is speaking of the unregenerate before the Holy Spirit changes our hearts Apart from the gospel, who does seek God? Who would seek God? Without the blood of Christ to cover our sins, we wouldn't even want to seek a righteous, holy God who puts a price on our sin. All have turned aside, he says, together they have become worthless. Now, the word worthless, it's a translation of the Hebrew corrupt. So he's not speaking about the value of human life, but the value of the goodness that we bring forward. Our supposedly good works, in God's eyes, are worthless. They don't add up to anything so stained they are with sin. The moral code of the human race is worthless before a truly righteous and holy God. By nature, we celebrate what is evil in his sight, and we even prohibit what is righteous. Their throat, he says, is like an open grave. You look in, honestly inside the human heart, and you discover, he says, an abominable stench of deadness, of, of depravity and corruption. The same as when you open up a grave He says, in their paths are ruin and misery. We leave behind ourselves a trail of destruction and brokenness. You only have to look out into the world and look at history to see this. Ruin and misery, greed, corruption, war, abuse. We are what's wrong with the world. It doesn't make any sense to say that people are good and it's society that corrupts them. What do we think society is made of? The way of peace, he says, we have not known. It isn't hardwired into our fallen nature anymore. Pride and selfishness and self centeredness rule. You see this fact of life at the family level, you see it at the international level. And finally, he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. It's a fitting conclusion to his description of the human race. We were created to love and serve God, and that's our, our highest and our most fundamental calling. And the havoc that we witness in the world is what, is what comes out of the lack of fear of God that human beings have before their eyes. There's no respect for God, and so there's no limit for the evil that we're capable of doing. So the Catechism summarizes it all very well. Do I want to know the truth about myself? Well, here it is. I'm inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. I might not get away with expressing that hate in every instance. Circumstances will still dictate what that hatred looks like. But that is my human, unregenerate nature. This is what we find when we measure ourselves against the standard of God's law. It's a very dark place for the catechism to begin. But the fact is, we won't ever embrace the gospel of a Savior who died for our sins until we know who we are, how badly we need such a Savior. We have to begin our study of the gospel by looking at the mirror of God's law that shows us what we really look like. This might feel like a very depressing place for the catechism to be, but at least it is the truth. And in that way, it's a huge step forward from the lies that we would prefer to tell ourselves that might make us feel better or feel numb to who we are, but never address the condition of our heart. So we would, never, we would never dare to start down this road of the gospel if we didn't know in the first place that, Christ sent, that, that God sent Christ to redeem sinful flesh from the power of sin. And that's where Paul also goes in the next verse. We didn't read that verse, but Romans 3 verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Well, next week and and still the week after, we will still have more to learn about our sin, as well as about the righteous judgment of God against our sin. These will continue to be hard things to look at. But we we, we do so not as those who have no hope, but we do it because we know what our hope is. Christ has given his life the unrighteous for, the righteous that is for the unrighteous. So because of his death, we may live. And that's what gives us the courage to step down this road, to look honestly at who we are, and to take down the lies that we've told ourselves. It's because Christ has gone to the darkest place of all, that we may go down this road confident that it leads us into the Father's presence and into the greatest joy imaginable. And this, then, is our joy. This is our comfort. This is that, that unbreakable, steadfast confidence that the Catechism wants us to have. We're received into the Father's presence because someone else has paid the penalty for our sins. Christ spilled his blood so that we could be welcomed at the Father's side. And so the Father receives sinners like us and clothes us instead in white robes and welcomes us as his children to enjoy the delight of living with him forever. And so, brothers and sisters, then, even though we've spent a good deal of time looking into our sin, and even though we will spend more time having to do the same, lift up your eyes in all of this to Christ, because he is our hope, and he is the source of joy beyond all imagination. Amen. Let's respond by singing together from Psalm 51, stanza 2 and 4.